Welcome to Smashing the Plateau. We help you get unstuck so you can do what you love and get paid what you're worth consistently. I'm your host, David Schreiner Khan. It takes way longer than that, and it's much more complicated than that, and that you actually have to go out and do some business first. Today, on episode 511 of Smashing the Plateau, I'm here with the co-founder and executive director of Startup Nevada, Jeff Sailing. I'm going to ask Jeff about the challenges of starting your first business when you are mid-career or later, and much more. Find out more about Jeff along with all of our previous episodes at smashingtheplateau.com. Now, before we jump into this incredibly important topic with Jeff, I want to tell you a little bit about how you can generate more leads, promote your products, and build brand loyalty. Jerry Mazur, the founder of Jerry Mazur Marketing, with more than 25 years in senior strategic positions in major advertising and PR agencies working with Fortune 500 companies, today helps smaller companies, startups, and not-for-profits achieve the marketing results they're looking for. If you want to achieve marketing results that are effective for your business, contact Jerry at 917-509-9906 or jerry at jerrymazermarketing.com. Now let's welcome Jeff Sailing. Jeff is a startup founder and early stage public company executive with more than 25 years experience. Since 1998, Jeff has been part of successful startup exits with three IPOs and one private acquisition. As an executive, Jeff's experience includes running worldwide sales, professional services, SaaS operations, and product development. As a founder, Jeff's experience includes three B2B SaaS cloud companies and currently one business tech incubator, Startup NV. Jeff is also an active mentor and angel investor in several tech startups. Jeff, welcome to the show. It's great to be here, David. Thanks for having me. Jeff, you seem to have developed quite an expertise with startups. How did that come about? Well, originally, I was part of startups and acted in a bunch of different roles, as you referenced a minute ago. As I got to beyond the actual uh, startups that I was a part of a team and wanted to do them on my own, I started working at an incubator in Austin, Texas. And the experience was so awesome that when I came back home to Nevada, I wanted my next startup to be in an incubator in Nevada. As I explored doing that, I found there, there were none. So we started Startup NV and have been working with a lot of tech startups ever since. So, you know, over, over that period of time, we've had about 200 companies pitch to us and about 40 odd companies come through the incubator. So a lot of experience working myself in startups and then starting to, to coach others who uh, were going on the same journey I'd already been on. What's the big difference of being in an incubator versus trying to start something without the incubator? Well, it's mostly a teamwork thing, and it's a teamwork thing on many levels. First, if you are a solo founder, grinding out the day-to-day work on your own can be tough. And having people around, whether they're mentors, whether they're other founders and other companies that may have nothing to do with what you're doing, but are going through the same kinds of things that you're going through, is I find it inspirational. I think most of the folks who are working in incubators or accelerators also find it inspirational. The connections and just the general ability of, of your fellow founders and your mentors and other folks who are helping you to lift your spirits, keep you going, keep you focused. 
and wanting to, to report on your work every day. Now, is there space in incubators for everybody who wants to be in them? Well, there's probably some kind of incubator for everyone. We run two programs. One is for for companies that are looking to scale and and eventually have an exit. And one is one one of our programs is for founders who may not be seeking an exit. Maybe want to maybe want to grow their own business, make it great. Maybe it's a family business. You know, maybe it's it's any kind of business that's not seeking an exit. And I think that those two different those two things are a little bit different and probably don't belong together. But they're both equally awesome. And wh- why do you? Th- believe that being solo is so hard it's just i think that's probably that's probably the case for a lot of things in life not just starting your own business when you do have a co-founder um you have somebody that you can bounce ideas off of that that you don't get stuck in your own brain or think that you know you have to justify your decisions to somebody else and if you're a solo founder you know seeking out advisors and mentors to to be that sounding board is a good idea if you can, as a founder, have a co-founder, that's also a great idea if you've got the, the right connections and the right people that are a good counterbalance to what you're doing. Mm. Jeff, have you tried to start anything on your own, totally solo, without the incubator? The only thing I've done on my own is consulting um, or things because you know, in between various things that I've done over, over my career, there have been uh, multiple times when I've I've gone out and done consulting, but I, I definitely prefer having somebody else along for the ride. And, and I usually try to find somebody who's different from me in terms of their experience or their the disciplines that they've worked on in their career. Mm. Now, a big portion of our audience are people who are mid-career and starting something new. So somebody who may be, let's say, between the ages of mid to late 40s and maybe mid 60s, who has been an employee up until this point and is starting something new for the first time, Start, you know, starting her or his own startup. What do you find is most challenging when you're, when you're doing it mid-career? Well, that's interesting. I think uh, most folks think that you know, if you're in an incubator, you're working with a, a bunch of folks who are 20-something or maybe early 30-something. And I can tell you, it's Startup Envy, that's not the case. Uh, we have a big mix of, of folks who are exactly as you positioned. They've worked someplace else in their career, and now they're starting out on their own. So I think the things that that are most missed by folks who are doing that is the, the collaboration I referred to before, not necessarily with the co-founder, but just with other people who are working in the same company or working on the same thing that you are. The other thing I think that's missed is, I'll call it infrastructure, You know, a place to go to work, uh, the basic, you know, health insurance, a time off plan, you know, things that a company would provide for you that you now have to provide for yourself. And those, you know, the combination of the people and the things, you know, are usually are the things represent the things that most of those mid-career folks struggle with at first until they get used to, you know, serving their clients, their clients and their customers being their main contact points. And their advisors and anybody else that they might have invited in to, to help them out, either on a permanent or semi-permanent basis, or you know, uh, just on occasion when they when they need the help. Yeah, and are some of the folks that you've described people who have left corporate because they've been pushed out? Some, yes, and, and others. I don't know if it was pushed. I, w- I wouldn't necessarily say pushed out because they were you know laid off, but they definitely did not feel like. 
they were making the, their best possible contribution and they wanted to strike out on their own. And that's, that's exactly what they did. They, they struck out on their own. We've got of the, of the 20 odd companies that, uh, that we've got in our incubator right now, I'm going to say about, about fully, uh, probably close to half, um, are folks who have had a corporate career of some kind and just no, no longer felt like that was, that was what they wanted to do anymore, whether they were pushed out or whether they made that decision to leave voluntarily. Right. And Jeff, how do they hear about your program? Well, mostly through our own promotional efforts. So we do all the normal things you would expect to, to have happen on uh, for SEO and social media. We're a nonprofit. So Google is generous with many nonprofits, allowing us to, uh, to use uh, AdWords as long as we don't bid more than $2 per, uh, per word or phrase. We, we can use Google up to $10,000 a month. Uh, we do all our, own, all our own social media. And I, I got to tell you, David, I have a lot of cups of coffee with a lot of folks one on one and in very small group settings, just trying to you know lend an ear to what it is that they're working on, give them advice, encourage them to to pitch to us and to other folks. Many of these folks are are out trying to to raise money to for their startup, either you know a debt based raise through a conventional SBA loan or something like that, or you know through the angel uh, communities that are uh, forming up here in Nevada. And Jeff, what are some of the things you hear from these folks? Um, the, it's funny because almost in, in the world that I live in, almost everybody, you know, watches Shark Tank. And so that you see these, these folks who, who go on Shark Tank and they're, you know, they're pitching to, uh, Mark Cuban and Lori and the others on the thing. And they think they can make a, a three minute pitch and get a deal done. And I think the, the biggest aha moment for most of these folks who are raising money, not all of them are, but the ones who are is that it takes way longer than that and it's much more complicated than that and that you actually have to go out and and do some business first you know whatever your idea is whether you're a tech startup or a person making a new gee whiz thing some some you know, we've a, a folks that they're making everything from bicycle racks to to really interesting you know containers for for your journey on, on water and filtering water and things like that so just making sure that whatever your idea is, you've taken it, you've gotten it far enough along that people are actually buying some of it from you and giving you feedback. And that, and that's the best point at which to raise, raise money. And that, that aha moment of knowing that is probably the, the thing that I, I chat about most with these entrepreneurs who are getting ready to go out and start on their own. Right. And of the people that you speak to, what portion of them are actually looking to raise money versus those that are just trying to get a business to be successful, be sustainable and support their own personal financial needs. I'd say out of every 10 companies that we talk to, three to four of them are looking to raise money, you know, sort of doing that, that thing you see on Shark Tank. And the other seven or eight simply want to get their, their business up and going. Sometimes that's, like I said, they either have you know, saved up a little money and they want to do that, or they might be going a more conventional route by uh, being able to seek, you know, a small business loan or, or, you know, a friends and family kind of loan to get them up and going and get them through those first, uh, you know, a couple of quarters of, of, you know, working on your own where you probably don't have a lot of, uh, of income coming in. Right. Right. So I wonder if you could just walk us through a scenario of somebody who's typical, especially for those that aren't, looking for, they're not looking to raise money and exit. 
but maybe the seven or eight out of 10 that are just looking to get something to work and be sustainable? Sure. So I'll give you a, a couple of examples. The first is, uh, you know, we had, we had a, a young woman come through, had graduated from a master's program in, in engineering, and she was a little bit further along in her career. She, she had done some things early in her career, went back to school, got her master's degree, and started doing um, consulting work in, in mining, which is a big um, industry here in Nevada. If anybody in your audience didn't know, I think Nevada is the second or third largest gold mining place in the entire planet. I mean, that's up against other countries. So there's a lot of mining that goes on here. And she had some really interesting methods for helping miners find you know, whatever it was that they were mining in a much more efficient way than the traditional methods. So she had started to, to do some consulting to her, to her mining practice. Um, she was starting to fill up her day and was looking for advice on how to expand her consulting practice in, in the mining world. And um, really smart uh, woman, really had her stuff on, was clearly not in a business that was, uh, that was probably going to grow and be sold or be acquired by anybody, but was probably going to, um, well, she had herself fully occupied and was looking, at, looking for ways to advice on how to, how to grow it so that she could bring other people on and, and do this in a way that, that allowed her business to grow. So, you know, not everybody's building the next, um, you know, the next great Internet of Things product or thing that's going to go to, uh, to become a unicorn. And we have, we have people that are, have similar sort of consultancy businesses, services businesses, you know, or, or other folks. We, we had another fella who, because he had moved around a lot, had, had experiences with the public storage places. And then in, in the towns that I do a lot of my work in, which is or, or Reno and Las Vegas and Nevada, a lot of people are moving in. So there's, there's a big shortage of these public storage units. And he had this idea of creating something like a, one of those pods, those mobile units where you could stack them in the yard that, that was less expensive than the pods, a little bit more flexible than the typical fixed storage things. And I mean, he had done tons of research. This, came, this was born out of, a, out of a problem that he and his wife had and was looking to serve serve the community in in Reno first, and then and then serve the community in Vegas. And again, not something that you're going to scale and grow and, and sell in all likelihood, um, but something that that was you know personally meaningful to him and had done all the research. So he's looking for some help and advice, and possibly some help in getting a loan to get get things started. But it clearly wasn't. It didn't meet our you know our scalable test. Meaning, founder that's dedicated to creating some business that's eventually going to get acquired. And how far along, in these two examples, how far along were they before they joined your, your program? The mining person had been at it about six months, and she was looking for a way to expand and a way to get advice. The fellow who had the public storage things were, were, had done all his research and was looking for some, I'll say, some, some help from some folks with uh, a little bit more life experience than he had to get it to get it up and going. So he was probably about three months in and was was debating about whether he should uh, sort of make the jump from the full-time job he had into going full-time on, on this adventure that he, that he was looking to do. Mm -hmm. Jeff, do business owners need to be based in Nevada in order to be able to participate in your program? They do. The whole operation does not have to be based in Nevada, but we like the, you know, the main, the bulk of the folks to be in Nevada so that 
when they grow and they create jobs and they create the activity around their businesses, that 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 benefit accrues to our communities in Nevada, whether it's Reno, Vegas, or out in the rural areas of our state. So for folks that are not based in Nevada, do you have any words of wisdom about some of the strategies they might be able to employ that that might tap into some of uh, some of your learnings? Sure. I mean, we have a lot of resources available on our website, and that's open to everybody. And we think we've got a pretty cool, uh, cool um, business environment here in Nevada. So we do get a fair amount of folks, especially regionally, who are looking to move here. So they'll they'll come to our website, startupmd.org. We've got a bunch of resources available on the actual website itself about how to start a business, you know, what some of the phases are, those kinds of things, how to get engaged with us, even how to pitch to us, because anybody can pitch and get feedback from our, our advisory board, uh, whether or not they're in Nevada. And uh, of course, we're going to do everything we, we can to, to, to convince them that this is a great place to, to do business. But we, our mission is to have successful entrepreneurs, no matter where they are. We'd like them to be in Nevada, but they don't have to be in Nevada. Yeah. Jeff, what do you see as some of the biggest obstacles to founders getting help early on when they when it would be most valuable? I think first you have to be willing to ask for help, um, and that's that's actually one of the the strongest criteria that we look at is you know the coachability of the of the founder. For we're going to invest a lot of our our incubators' efforts in in helping them. So first, you have to have an open mind and be willing to listen to other people. It doesn't mean you have to, to take every single bit of advice anybody gives you, but have an open mind about, about folks who, who might have a different perspective than you do. So that's, that's number one. Number two is finding you know, an organization, group, or a couple of individuals who sort of will balance you out. There's 1,400 incubators across the United States. Uh, so there's lots of help out there that's available to you, and there's probably another three or four hundred accelerator programs if you qualify for them that are available to you, where where folks will will give you help in a variety of different areas. There's a program out there called the uh, the VMS program. It's a Venture Mentor Service uh, at MIT, and there are a number of chapters of those around the country, and. Those are a great place. That's actually a free service where folks can go and get mentorship. And another place to reach out in your community, um, there's an organization called One Million Cups. It was started by the Kauffman Foundation out of Kansas City. I think they're in about 150 cities around the, the country. And they meet every Wednesday morning at usually a local coffee venue of some sort. And founders get up and make a six-minute pitch to their community and get a lot of feedback. And you can, again, it's all, it's all free and you can meet a lot of people in your community who are generally engaged in entrepreneurism and, and want to help. Is there a central repository of, of these various resources? None that I've found. It's one of the key complaints in our, uh, well, certainly in our, in my state, Nevada, and in many other places. I mean, there's lots of places to go for I would say your traditional tech startups. You know, you can go on on Y Combinator, five hundred startups, and they've got a ton of ton of resources for folks who are aimed at scalable startups with exits. For the others, there's the ones that have been. There's not a central place you can go that I know of that you can go and find you know resources for everything. So you know, I rattled off a couple there with with one million cups and the Kauffman Foundation. 
Uh, those are both really good places to start. Uh, your local uh, uh, SBDC um, usually has great resources, and they're mo- in most cases they're very well wired into to the communities throughout the United States. I know our our Nevada SBDC is is awesome and has has great resources. We we work together with with all of those resources in our communities, and I know they're they're available in many others across the United States. Mm. Jeff, what are your thoughts about the resources? You know, you mentioned earlier on that that being solo is really hard, and ha- and being in a an environment where you are constantly in contact with peers and mentors can be really helpful, inspirational, etc. What what are your thoughts about being in paid programs? Because there are lots of those as well. Well, it has to fit for you. It has to fit for what for what it is that you're doing. And the only thing that really bothers me about paid programs is if you're actually paying to pitch to that rankles me a little bit, but actually paying to be in an incubator or, or accelerators are usually a little bit different. There's nothing wrong with that. And you can get a little bit, you can get close to having an incubation experience just by going to a, a co-working space. And of course you're going to, you're going to pay for the office space or the desk or whatever it is that you're renting from the co-working space. Um, but you're, again, you're going to be around other folks who are, you know, striving and and starting their businesses and trying to do this similar things to what it is that you, as a solo founder, are doing. And you can get a lot of a, a lot of great um, support in those kinds of communities as well. And you know, you're you're paying a little bit of money. You know, usually a few hundred bucks a month. You know, anywhere from 150 to three or four hundred bucks a month, depending on your local real estate market and what it uh, what it tolerates. But I, you know, having Having that support, I think, is important. It tends to make people stronger and a little bit more coachable. Jeff, whom do you know personally who's done a remarkable job of smashing the plateau? I have two examples for you. So one is one of the founders of a company called Breadware. Uh, His name's Daniel Price. And what Breadware is doing is they're making it easy to design and create a smart or Internet of Things product. I wasn't aware that 75% of the people who start an IoT or start to build a smart project fail uh, because even even if they're in a company, they don't have the engineering skills in the company to build what effectively is a little mini computer for whatever their device might be, whether it's a, a sprinkler or or any other, I'll, I'll say, boring kind of IoT device. It's not the sexy kind of stuff that you see with Alexa and Google Voice. So all of these companies that are trying to build devices can now go to breadware and find a boatload of engineers, a marketplace of engineers to help them get through the design and manufacture process. So Daniel Price and his crew at breadware are, are, have broken through the plateau in the IOT space and are, are continuing to go to really do great things. And my, my second example is a woman by the name of Julie Arsenault. She runs a women's underwear subscription service called Panty Drop, and it's pantydrop.me. Make sure you go to that website, not the .com. And uh, she's got a really, she's got an inclusive intimates business where you subscribe to to their business. And she and her team have been tripling their sales every quarter for about six quarters now. So Julie and her team at uh, Panty Drop are doing awesome, and Daniel and his team at Breadware are doing awesome. Sounds great. And Jeff, what does the future look like for you at Startup NV? The future is bright. We've seen about 200 companies pitch to us over the course of the last 18 months or so. 
we've recently won a federal grant that allows us to help angel groups and other investment groups get started in Nevada because we lack them. I mean, there's there's lots of them around the country, and we have few, if any, in Nevada. So we're we're using our federal grant to get those kinds of, of things started here in Nevada to help our entrepreneurial community thrive and sort of grow beyond our traditional industries out here of gaming, uh, tourism, and mining. So uh, we're looking to expand, and the future is very, very bright for uh, for those of us in Nevada. Sounds great. And uh, if somebody wants to go deeper with anything that that you've discussed today or learn more about Startup Envy, where would they go? Um, there's two places to go. Um, first, to our website, startupenvy.org. There's lots and lots of resources out there for uh, for anybody in the world. Uh, and we, we'd love you to come down to Nevada, but you can start at our website, startupenvy.org. And if you're of the investor mindset, you can uh, check out the angel investment group that we're putting together at fundnv.com. So startupnv.org or fundnv.com. Sounds great. Well, Jeff, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today on Smashing the Plateau. My guest today has been the co-founder and executive director of Startup Envy, Jeff Sailing. Thank you again, Jeff, for joining us. Thanks, David, for having me. It's been great being here. When you visit the Smashing the Plateau website at smashingtheplateau.com, you'll find a summary of each episode along with the links we mentioned on the show. Today, we learned about the challenges of starting your first business when you are mid-career or later and much more. Remember to subscribe on whatever platform you listen on and leave a review if you can. And remember, when you support our sponsors, you help us bring Smashing the Plateau to you for free. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our show. I'll see you on our next episode.